I vividly remember locking myself in my bedroom when the yelling and screaming started, which was usually every time my younger brother walked in the door. I did whatever I could to stay out of the way, get out of the house if I could, anything to avoid the constant chaos and conflict. Holes in walls, um, yelling, screaming, friends being chased away by my parents, my mom crying. My younger brother became a lifelong drug addict by age 15. My parents were clueless. They were in denial. They were enablers, and they suffered endlessly right along with him. Life was miserable for them and for me. Today, in the very first episode of Speaking of Teens, I want to talk to you about how, as a mom, we sometimes allow our own fear to take over and steer us far off course when we're trying to parent our teenager. Fear of what the future might look like for our child, fear of what other people might think, fear of messing up, of failure. Fear is an easy trap for us to fall into, and it has a detrimental side effect on our child. Stay with me. You're listening to Speaking of Teens, a weekly show to help you better understand and parent your teen or tween. I'm Ann Coleman, and after surviving a couple of difficult years with my teenage son, I decided to make the leap from practicing law into the science of parenting teens and tweens. I want to make sure you have the skills I was sorely lacking. I rather consciously decided, really young, that I never, ever wanted to be in my parents' position. And up until about my mid-30s, I wasn't even sure I wanted to be a parent because of the risk of going through what they went through. But then when I became a parent, I knew I would never be as unaware and passive as my parents had been. I would have a totally different relationship with my kids, and they'd never want to treat me the way my brother had treated them. And I wouldn't stand for it if they did. Fast forward a few decades, and I have my own teenage son. There's a lot of yelling and screaming and holes being knocked on walls, and I'm feeling extremely lost and feeling as if I was doing everything wrong. But looking back, it's obvious to me now that in the back of my mind, I was determined that I was not going to let my son turn out like my brother. At every step, I disagreed with my husband who wanted to take a more passive approach with him or more gentle and kind approach. I insisted that we had to take a hard stance and get control of him and the situations. And I had friends telling me that I'd been too lenient for years because he was an only child. I'd let him run all over me because I'd tried to be understanding of his ADHD and his anxiety. I felt I was being judged as a parent by teachers, neighbors, friends, society. I was not only putting pressure on myself to bring him under control, but I was feeling all this external pressure as well. And the bottom line was, I was terrified. Terrified he was messing up his future, his chance to go to college or have a great life. And I was terrified that I was really a horrible parent, that I was doing everything wrong and that everyone knew it. So to try and control his behavior, we would take away his phone, the computer, the game console, not allow him to go out at certain times, restrict him from being around certain people. I even nailed his bedroom window shut when he was sneaking out. And you know what? His behavior and our relationship with him just got worse. 
We were constantly arguing, and he was so angry, it was frightening, raging at times, destroying the house. And then at other times, he'd just collapse in a puddle, crying and frustrated and saying he wanted to do better and feel better. It was horrible. And my husband and I were a mess, too. We were anxious, depressed, and at each other's throats. And the whole family was an anxiety and depression-ridden mess. Any pretense at normal life was just gone. I was ashamed and embarrassed that things had gotten so out of control. What I didn't realize until a couple of years later is that things were so out of control because I was trying too hard to control him. And I was so focused on that control because I was parenting out of fear. It was that fear that caused me to punish and lecture and argue, nag, threaten, and treat him with very little respect. I didn't listen. I didn't think. I just reacted automatically to his emotional behavior with my own emotional behavior. When he needed me the most, I panicked and I just brought the hammer down. That fear had been with me since my own adolescence, watching my brother and my parents and making that subconscious decision to never let it happen to me. But that had been years and years ago, and I really didn't even recognize it was fear that was driving me. I didn't realize how my own thoughts, emotions, and behavior were playing a central role in my son's thoughts emotions, and behavior. For some parents, it's not fear that causes controlling parenting. It may be simply a need for control or power over them to teach them a lesson, not to allow them to win or think they can get away with something. Many of us were raised this way by our own parents. We were taught to be afraid of them, afraid of being spanked or smacked or grounded for life or of their disgust, their disrespect and punishment, yelling, belittling, shaming, or withholding their love. Our parents were very likely raised this way by their own parents. This spare the rod, spoil the child mentality goes back centuries. Parents demanded obedience above all else. They literally broke a child's will. They commanded their kids think and do only what they thought was correct. But this style of parenting today, we call it authoritarian, leaves no room for individual thought, questioning, discussion, negotiation. Kids are taught to follow orders without questioning them. And if they fail to do so... They're punished because the thinking goes that teaches them to never disobey again. Well, all the scientific research shows that is simply not true. Harsh punishment and control, indiscriminately taking things away from kids or teens, yelling, lecturing, shaming, none of this will work to change their behavior in the long term. And all of it is detrimental to the parent-child relationship that connection with our kids. Depending on the teen, their personality, their history with you, some will very often do what you command. They may be afraid not to, afraid of the punishment or reprisals or of actually losing your love. 
or they may behave the way you want until they get back whatever it was you took away from them or until the punishment ends and then they go right back to the same behavior. Or worse, they go totally off the rails trying to prove you can't control them and they become really good liars, adept at hiding things and sneaking around. It just drives them underground, working harder not to get caught. Research shows they end up with self-esteem issues, feeling like a loser, feeling stupid. They act out in anger towards you. They become aggressive towards other people, and they fail to develop critical social and emotional skills. I often hear parents talk of strict control, harsh words, and punishments as teaching respect. How are they ever going to learn to respect anyone if we don't teach them to respect us? But that whole obey me, respect me, or I'll punish you and teach you to respect me, it's flawed thinking. First of all, think about it. Do we really want to teach them to blindly obey anyone? Where would our society be if we didn't challenge the status quo and question authority? We want them to think for themselves, to ask questions, to learn the facts, and draw their own conclusions. We want them to challenge overly jealous and abusive boyfriends or girlfriends. We want them to challenge bullies, unfair treatment for themselves and anyone else. Secondly, it's been proven over and over and over again in mountains of research that this controlling type of parenting, whether out of fear or as a parenting ideology, is harmful for both the child and the parent-child relationship. Disrespectful treatment, control, instilling fear, punishment reprisals, that, that doesn't teach respect. It may teach fear anger, resentment, manipulation, and lying, but never respect. And remember, I'm saying this to you with love. I did this for a while, for at least a couple of years, mostly out of fear, but there was that pressure from friends and family that, you know, they must obey. They must learn respect. That stuck in my head as well. But have you ever heard you got to give respect to get respect? It's absolutely true. People respect others when they receive respect from them. And there is no time in life when people are more attuned to receiving respect than during adolescence. Studies have shown that teens and tweens are extremely sensitive to being respected receiving respect from adults like their teachers and parents, and also respect from their peers. A lot of this has to do with their growing need for autonomy, freedom of choice, and being given responsibility, made to feel important and competent, and that their own opinions matter. This push for autonomy is obviously going to lead to some amount of conflict at home, as they move through adolescence, they need to be able to question what we believe and decide things for themselves. They're also very sensitive to and have a need to achieve higher status. 
that standing in the social hierarchy. And this status is based on their perception, how they're treated by others. And a key determinant of this, you guessed it, respect. So these concepts of autonomy and respect and status are closely tied together for adolescents and are very, very motivational and determinative of their behavior. Researchers find that somewhere in that age range of 14 to 17, teens feel they should be treated as an adult. In their mind, they've achieved that full adult status. So they think anything adults do to try to influence their behavior is disrespectful. It's not treating them as the adult they feel they are. And it can actually be truly painful for teens that feel they're denied that status and they aren't respected by their parents or their peers. They can feel shame and humiliation, and that's not anything we want for our teens. As a matter of fact, some researchers believe that the reason so many school-based prevention programs don't work with teenagers is because those programs don't address that need for respect and high status. It's all adults talking down to them and lecturing them when they hit about 13. That type of program stops working. So this need for autonomy, status, and respect gives us direction in parenting our kid once they hit the teen years. Studies show that a reasonable level of monitoring and supervision, like knowing where they are, who they're with, asking for reasonable check-ins and questions and talking to their friends and their friends' parents, all of that, that's good. Teens will do better in school. They'll be less likely to get involved with illegal activity, substance abuse, and for girls at least, they're less likely to be depressed. However, there's a fine line from a teen's perspective, between reasonable monitoring and intrusive and controlling monitoring. Once you cross that line, the outcomes begin reversing. More delinquent behavior, less achievement in school, more trouble all around. Basically, you get rebellion. Acne can be emotionally painful for your teen. Hey there, it's Anne, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to Phyla, an effective, side-effect-free, natural product that can help them. Phyla contains the first scientific breakthrough in acne treatment in 40 years. Today's teens are still dealing with their acne the way we did, with harsh chemicals that leave your face feeling like it's going to crack. Phyla's superpower is in its probiotic phages, which are naturally found in acne-free skin. The scientific research shows these phages reduce acne-causing bacteria by up to 90% without destroying the skin's microbiome. So your kid's skin looks and feels amazing, and they get to reclaim their confidence. Phyla is going to be a game changer. Head over to phyla.com, that's P-H-Y-L-A, and use the coupon code SPEAKINGOFTEENS to claim 25% off your first order. 
The link is right there in the episode description where you're listening. Researchers feel there's also a strong link here with the level of comfort a teen feels talking freely about what's going on in their lives with their parents. When the parents are perceived as being reasonable, they talk. But when they're perceived as controlling, they clam up, they start hiding things and lying because their autonomy and status are challenged. So we have this false belief as parents that the more on top of it we are, the better it is for our teens. So we're constantly checking up on them, giving them the third degree, questioning their every move, digging around to catch them doing something. And we're only making things worse. The more control we exert, the less connection we have, the less comfortable our teen is talking to us and sharing things with us, which means we have fewer opportunities to influence their behavior, not more. All the research clearly shows that there must be a balance in our parenting style. Researchers call this type of parenting authoritative. The parent using this authoritative, balanced approach shows love and affection and supports their teen's need for autonomy and respect and status, while still maintaining firm boundaries and expectations. It's not so much the exact measures we take, but more in the overall attitude and the style that we use to do everything that we do. When we yell, lecture, argue, refuse to listen, we threaten their autonomy, respect, and status. When we're inflexible, show them we don't trust them, demand their blind obedience, we threaten their autonomy, respect, and status. This behavior whittles away at our connection with them and causes them to rebel and spiral out of control. If we want them to succeed and do well in life, we know they need to hear us. And they don't hear us unless they feel we're listening to them, that we're acknowledging their feelings and respecting their opinions and making room for their individuality. This means working with them instead of against them, being flexible when possible, and staying firm when it's not. This is how we keep our connection strong. It's how they hear us. Let me give you a simple example. Two different moms give their teen a curfew of 11 p.m. on a weekend. As one kid's leaving, the first mom says, remember, I want you home by 11 o'clock or you won't be going anywhere next weekend. No excuses. Don't make me come out looking for you. The other mom hugs their kid as they're leaving and says, have a great time tonight and remember to watch the time. We agreed you'd be home by 11. Let me know if you need me. I love you. The first parent makes the curfew sound more like a punishment. And the second is simply giving a loving reminder after having obviously had a conversation about what time the kid would be home for curfew. Both teens may make it home by 11 but which one's going to be more likely to call their mom if they need a ride home from the party that got out of control? 
try to think of all this this way. Aren't you more likely to listen to a friend who listens to you? And aren't you more likely to tell somebody something if you feel they try to understand your point of view and not judge you? Aren't you more likely to trust a friend who's shown a willingness to help you in a moment of crisis and not make you feel bad about it? It's really common sense if you think about it. It's human nature. And our teens are super sensitive humans. They're super sensitive to being bossed around, being embarrassed and humiliated or made to feel inferior in any way, or feeling like they have no say. Being an authoritative parent is just being aware of these sensitivities and working with them to get the best results, which is a solid relationship with our teenager, one of openness and cooperation and their successful future. We have to remember that our role when they become a teenager is to guide them through adolescence, to let go of one of the reins and give them the opportunities to learn on their own. So let's look at the things we need to keep in mind about the level of control we exert over our teenager. Number one, we cannot parent out of fear. If this is where your need for control comes from, then figure out the basis for this fear. Mindfulness and journaling both help in this area. Examine your background and your life experiences, especially from childhood and adolescence. And once you realize where your fear is coming from, then you can address it properly. For example, in my case, I had to tell myself that my son is not my brother. His situation is completely different even if it reminds me of my brother's situation. I had to learn mindfulness and start practicing mindfulness to parent him and him alone in the moment and not think about the past or worry about the future. I was able to get my fear under control. I'll link to a book called Emotional Agility by Susan David in the show notes. I highly recommend it. And also a book by Williams and Penman called Mindfulness, an eight-week plan for finding peace in a frantic world. And I'll also have several other links there for you for additional resources. Number two, if your need for control comes from an outdated and antiquated parenting methodology, obey me because kids are supposed to be obedient, period, then I strongly urge you to research your beliefs. I'll link to several studies in the show notes as well as commentary from developmental psychologists. Heck, just Google best parenting methodology and you'll see article after article about the authoritative parenting style, which depending on the source may be called positive parenting, assertive parenting, calm parenting, or any other number of names. Different experts call it different things. Just because your parents use this old style of parenting doesn't make it right. And I know, I know you turned out okay, but I want you to think about that for a minute. How close were you with your parents when they were using fear tactics with you? Did you tell them everything or did you sneak around and hide your behavior? Are you close with them now? How do you really feel about them and how they parented you? Is the way you were parented having a negative impact on how you parent? 
it is if you're using harsh and controlling methods with your own team. Do a little thinking or journaling about all of this. Do your research and reach your own conclusions. The fact that you're still listening tells me something. Number three, remember to get respect, you have to give respect. That's true with everyone and especially our teens. Yelling, arguing, demanding, shaming, sarcasm, one of my specialties, none of this takes their feelings into consideration and is simply not respectful and they won't respect you for it. Number four, think flexibility and collaboration rather than rigidity and obedience. Discuss the issues with them. What things are non-negotiable and what can you work with them on? Troubleshoot and problem solve to hammer things out cooperatively. Teens are much more cooperative when they're involved in discussions about the rules and the consequences for breaking them. Number five, learn to acknowledge your teen's opinions and feelings. Put yourself in their shoes and really try to see things from their point of view. Ask questions if you don't get it. They'll help. Number six, be flexible. Understand that parenting a teen is a fluid experience and black and white rules are not always feasible. Work together to problem solve and troubleshoot situations. You are not being permissive if you are willing to negotiate. We're not perfect humans and we can make decisions that aren't the best. We need to allow ourselves room to correct our mistakes as well. Number seven, allow them the freedom to make mistakes and learn from the consequences rather than trying to control them so they never make a mistake in the first place. This is so hard for some of us, but it is so very necessary. Mistakes are literally the building blocks of learning and growth. If we never allow them to make a mistake, they will truly have a rude awakening in the real adult world. And number eight and last, speaking of consequences of mistakes, let's talk about punishment versus consequences and how to go about this in an authoritative way. Punishment is retribution after the fact. It's meant to make someone suffer for their wrongdoing, a form of getting them back. It doesn't serve to teach a lesson other than just suffering. Putting someone in prison is punishment. Spanking is punishment. Taking away a cell phone because they didn't clean their room is punishment. And punishment doesn't work to teach lessons other than to instill fear or teach them to avoid getting caught. It doesn't teach or guide our kids. Or let's say your 17-year-old is doing 35 and a 25 and he gets a ticket, the consequence of driving over the speed limit with the additional consequence of paying the ticket out of his own pocket. Or your 15-year-old forgets to take their project to school. The consequence is that the teacher knocks off 10 points. Or let's say your 13-year-old didn't get up in time to take a shower this morning. The consequence of not getting up on time, not being able to take a shower, and someone calls her onion girl at school. 
yet another consequence for not getting up on time. Natural consequences are the best teacher. You don't have to nag to get that jersey in the hamper after a time or two. School projects probably receive top priority in the backpack the night before, and getting up on time probably becomes much more important, all without nagging, arguing, or punishment. Let's talk about artificially imposed or logical consequences when there's no natural consequence that will occur. Again, the goal is not punishment, but to teach a lesson so the behavior doesn't occur again. First, the consequence must be relevant or logical in that it's related to the behavior and not arbitrary. If it's arbitrary, it's a punishment. If you don't clean your room, I'm taking your cell phone for the rest of the week. What's the phone got to do with the room? If they're using their phone inappropriately, then taking the phone may be a logical consequence. And by the way, experts, most experts say that taking the phone for 24 hours is reasonable and does the trick better than trying to hold out for a week or longer. Been there, done that. Plus, remember, as we've said, respecting their autonomy is always best. So invite your teen's opinion and discuss expected behavior or rules and the consequences for breaking those rules. Teens are often more harsh with suggested consequences than we are. And if they know they'll lose their phone for 24 hours and they've agreed to that, it will be much easier to enforce. And when the time comes, impose the consequence. Don't argue or discuss it any further. Just stick to it. Remember, it's super important to follow through on all the consequences you set. So don't threaten or issue a consequence in anger in the moment as a reaction to some behavior that you haven't anticipated. And never take away something special like a trip or prom or do something crazy like we've seen on YouTube where people shoot the laptop or run over the games with a lawnmower. Although we've all wanted to do that. When they do something wrong that you didn't think about in advance, let them know what they did wrong, not to do it again, and that there will be consequences next time. And then discuss with them what that consequence will be. And, by the way, no one ever said every infraction must be addressed by issuing consequences. Some kids will just never do it again if you just discuss it with them. So let me leave you with this. Think about your reactions to your teen's behavior. Do you often find yourself in panic mode, afraid of what they might do to get in trouble if you don't get them under control? Examine where that fear may be coming from in your own background. Start journaling about your feelings, especially about your interactions with your teen. Look for patterns in your responses. Figuring out what's going on in your own mind will help you regulate your emotions and behavior. And if you've always felt you had to parent in a way that commanded their respect and demanded their obedience, I invite you to do your own research into parenting styles. Google authoritarian versus authoritative parenting. If you were raised by an authoritarian, really think about your own relationship with your parents. Is that what you want for you and your kids? It's not too late to change the way you parent. 
and let your kids know you're going to switch gears. They'll respect you for seeing what's not working and for wanting a stronger emotional connection with them. And finally, remember, natural consequences are the best teacher. And when there are no natural consequences, then logical consequences directly related to the behavior are best. But give yourself and your child the opportunity to discuss the issues and try to resolve problems other ways as well. Not every infraction requires an imposed consequence. Speaking of Teens is the official podcast of Neuroagility.com, an organization I started to educate other moms and adolescents about emotional intelligence. You can go to Neuroagility, N-E-U-R-O-G-I-L-I-T-Y.com forward slash one for this episode's show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this entire first episode. I really appreciate it. If you found it interesting, helpful, or inspiring in some way, please share it with a friend and come back for future episodes. New shows drop every Tuesday morning. And if you have an idea for a future show or suggestions for how to improve the podcast, please reach out to me at acoleman at neuroagility.com. I'd love to hear from you. And you can follow me at Neuroagility on Instagram and Facebook. See you next time.